0: Um, I am starting, I'm excited, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing a bit of a parallel, uh, the sermons in here, and I'm also doing a two-week series in the adult, our big kid services from, uh, there are 9 and 11 a.m. Uh, Sunday mornings, and so I'm doing a two-week series in both called The Gospel and The City, and so the idea is kind of, the, the idea of, uh, is this, that the Christian faith is deeply personal, but it's not selfish, um, and so the idea of the Christian faith is at some point that it would exit, the gospel would exit your personal life and it would exit uh, even the church and it would begin to penetrate the city. But that's a lot more easy, that's a lot easier said than done, I think in a lot of, in a lot of senses. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about the next couple weeks. So, so glad that you guys are here with us. Will you bow your heads and let's pray. Jesus Christ, we come before you. Uh, tonight just so dependent on your spirit. Lord, all the things that I would have to say I think are pretty pretty stupid compared to just hearing a little bit from you. And so we would open ourselves up and ask that you would speak uh, in this room in a beautiful way, in in an honest way. Um, And as the world continues to change and be so wild, we believe that you are the solution. And so above everything else that we would do in here, we just seek you and we would ask that you would come and meet with us here tonight. And again, we say thank you and we love you. It's in your son's name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to tell you something about being a pastor uh, or being a preacher, I should say. The only stories that you have are your own. Um, and so uh, the only bullets that you have are, are bullets that come from your own life. And so I'm just going to warn you that for the next six months, my stories are about being a new dad. I don't know... There's nothing else going on for me um, except for that. And so I wanted to tell you, as, as you know, my daughter has turned, Grace has turned 10 weeks old. She's nine pounds. She was, born, she was born at four and a half. She went down to four and a quarter. It is hot in here. Can someone look at that? Holy cow. Thanks, Brad. I don't even know who. Is this wool? God. All right. Do some music? <laughs> oh, my God. Sermon is crashing. Okay, okay. Okay. Um, so, oh, God, that feels good. Okay. She's nine pounds now. She was born at four and a half. She went down to about like four and a quarter at her uh, little list. So she's like double her size. And so people are still coming up to us and saying, that's the smallest baby I've ever seen. And so I'm starting to wonder if people have ever seen... Babies before, because she's a regular sized baby. I'm just going to warn you: you're going to you're going to think she's the smallest baby you've ever seen, but she might be the first baby you've ever seen, uh, because she's normal now. But um, I'm learning a lot about kids. This past uh, today, we had a a21 meeting. And so it was very surprising because we were in this meeting and, and uh, my wife is holding grace and there starts to be some activity and some warmth that Jordan is sensing on her leg. And so um, we had our first ever um, explosive poop uh, today that penetrated the diaper and went, I think it almost touched her hair in the back so high. Um, so it was, it was everywhere. I had to hold her. And Jordan had to go head to toe with wet wipes. So we're learning a lot about parenting, um, a lot of good lessons. One lesson, though, that, that I didn't really, I didn't see coming uh, when it comes to parenting is I didn't realize how easy it was to startle an infant. Did you guys know this? Like, they're always, I feel like I scare my daughter 10 times a day that I'll just be walking and like we'll make a noise or something will happen or like I'll, I'll flip open the blinds and her body will just be <laughs> like just tense because she just spooks super easy. And so we're learning to kind of like um, approach her delicately. Um, but this past week, it was kind of interesting. I'm trying to like be a calming presence to my daughter. I'm trying to speak to her calmly and gently and comforting um, her despite her very easy propensity to be spooked. Uh, and so it was interesting, though, because I think was it, was it Monday morning that I woke up, and I was uh, caring for grace, and I'm holding her, and I'm flipping through Twitter, and I'm, of course, seeing about all of this different stuff that happened in Las Vegas. And I'm just watching these video clips. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if you guys saw some of those video clips. I, I wish I hadn't seen some of the ones that I've seen. I, I don't know. You just, I just feel like you can't unsee stuff like that sometimes. But I remember this clip that That I just saw, but it was like this huge group of people, and they start hearing this, and they're thinking, they're thinking, um, it's fireworks, and so they're saying, it's fireworks, it's fireworks, and then they're slowly coming to the realization as people and bodies are just like dropping all around them, they're starting to realize like what's happening is this huge uh, massacre, you know, and so then they end up like they're just running in terror and just screaming like these guttural screams as they're like jumping over people who um, had been hit. And so, I don't know, it, it was weird. So I was like in this weird little balance where I was holding this like precious little spookable tiny little girl in one hand and then on the other hand I'm just flipping through Twitter like looking at some of like the most horrific stuff that I've ever experienced in my entire life. And then, and, then, and then I kind of start getting a little bit scared, because <laughs> I start thinking, like, God, like, what, what is this world that, that we're even bringing this little girl into? Like, it's, it's just crazy, because, you know, like, I'm 34, I'm about to turn 35 here in November, but, but this is, like, year one for her. It's like, I don't know what the next... I was talking to my friend Jesse about this, and it's just, like, when you think about the world, and you think about, like, where the world's going, and give it another 10... 20, 30, 40, 50, like I don't know what's gonna happen. Sometimes I feel like the world, especially our nation, is like this balloon that just keeps getting filled with like more and more air. And like at some point I was feeling like this whole thing is gonna freaking blow up if like we don't find a way to release the, like open the pressure valve a little bit here because it just feels like it gets so intense. And I feel like there's just a lot of people that are kind of feeling right now like this general sense of fear. And maybe the word I'd want to use is displacement. Just feeling like um, feeling like not at home, even in their own world and even in their own city, you know? Just like, I think there's a lot of people who could look back and find a time where, uh, where the world made a little bit more sense to you. I can tell you for me, like I feel like I understood the world more 10 years ago. I don't, know, I don't know why, it just seemed simpler. It seemed like a little bit cleaner. It seemed like a little bit more organized. Um, but now it just feels like so bizarre that I, I don't even almost understand like, the language that I feel like is being spoken right now. And I just think that there's a lot of people that are kind of living in that place where um, they're waking up in, in a place that feels like a, kind of like a strange land. Uh, my wife and I, we recently went to California for the adoption, we were over there for a couple weeks and we uh, had to stay at a couple different hotels. And so, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but sometimes I would, I would be in bed, I would be sleeping, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I would just like look around and I would have no idea where I was. I don't know if you guys have that experience, but you're like, why am I not in my bed? Like, why, why am I not in my room, in my house, in my city? And it takes a second, you know, to kind of come to California. You know, La Quinta in, and so you're like, okay, everything's cool. Um, but I think that's a pretty good metaphor for, I think, a lot of the ways that people are sort of thinking about um, the world right now that just feels kind of weird. It kind of feels sort of strange. Um, well, in Jeremiah chapter 29, of course, Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet, uh, widely um, despised. Definitely the most disliked of all of the Old Testament prophets. Nothing that he said was ever popular. Well, he, in this point, especially here in the second half of the book of Jeremiah, he's speaking to people who are in exile. God's people have been pulled out of their land and now they're uh, under the oppressive thumb of the Babylonians. And so they find themselves in this place where they're used, to, they're used to being in control. They're used to having a lot of say and they're finding themselves in a foreign land in a unique period in time where they don't know what's um, happening. And so Jeremiah would say this, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse four, of course, he's a prophet. He says this, "'Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, "'to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile "'from Jerusalem,' To Babylon. So basically, he's prophesying. So here's uh, God's words through the prophet, beginning in verse five. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your Welfare. So again, Jeremiah here in this text, he is speaking to a people that have recently found themselves in exile. They have been here for a while now. The prophet Jeremiah has continued to grow a little bit older. And they're in a unique experience where they're not, they're not in charge. They're used to being in charge. They're used to having a say. But now the, the, the people of God, they're starting to realize that, man, this culture that we live in, they're trying to eliminate everything that makes us unique, they're trying to eliminate our songs, they're trying to eliminate our liturgy, they're trying to eliminate our tradition, they're even trying to eliminate our language and teach us their own um, language. And so, so they're kind of in this place where they're feeling desperate and feeling um, just totally out of sorts and um, disoriented in the world that they find themselves in. But they also have this place where they're kind of they're kind of in a little bit, in a way, hopeful because these are the people of God, so they also have the promise that God is going to come and deliver them. And it would seem that as, as it gets worse and worse and worse, the worse that it gets, they start thinking like, well, surely God's deliverance is coming soon. It has to. Like, it has to be coming soon. Any day now, like any minute, God is going to come and deliver us from this horrible land. Like any day now, like don't get comfortable because God is going to come and deliver us any second now. And here's what God would say again in verse five and six. Here's his response to them. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease Translation is this, hey, look, uh, guys, I know that you thought your deliverance was like right around the corner, but you're going to be here for a while, so go ahead and build some houses. Like I I can, nothing that Jeremiah said was popular, but I can't imagine anything being less popular than this. He says, go ahead and build some houses, go ahead and build some farms. You know what? Go ahead and have some kids. Go ahead and have some grandkids, because you are going to be there for a while. And th- this is not what people in exile want to hear. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not what you want to hear. That's not what you want to hear like, God, it just feels like this place is so crazy and so broken and so wounded. God, would you give us a message? And he says this, yeah, get comfortable. Like, that's the idea. He says, like, go ahead and have some kids. Go ahead and have some grandkids. Like, and, and I'm, just, I'm just posing the question to you, like, what What if it's not, we're not in a place in history where, like, the deliverance is coming exactly like you thought it was going to right now. What What if we're just entering into a season of exile? And it, you know what I mean? Like, like, we're just expecting to get sucked out. You can sort of see this interesting parallel in the epistles. So if you go to the New Testament, you can read in Paul's writings that it seems like they're just... The New Testament churches, they're just bubbling up with anticipation about the Messiah coming a second time. They're just like, any day now, like we are going to get sucked out of here, like don't bother putting your shoes on because we're going to leave them behind. Our clothes are just going to drop off our bodies. Um, And so you don't worry. And so it's funny when you look at church history, it actually takes us a couple hundred years to even establish any sort of church order because we don't think we need it. So, so there's no protocol in place for like when a pastor would exit a church and how to find a new, like there's none of that because we didn't think we were going to need it because we didn't think we were going to be around that long. Certainly didn't think they were going to be having kids. Certainly didn't think they were going to be having grandkids. And so just, you can even see this progression, especially in the writings of Paul. It's super awkward, but you can see his writings when he's early on in life. He's talking about Christ's coming, Christ's return. And then later on in his writings, as he's becoming an older man, he's talking about loving each other and providing and training up. And so you can see this evolution where he just starts thinking like, now this is kind of awkward. I'm getting kind of old. And like Christ still hasn't come. So it's super weird. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking what we need to do is we need to start training people up. It reminds me of the 80s. We talked about this last week. But the 80s, I mean, people were thinking like, God, any second now will come. And so, so just like I told you, my mom, she, w- she was at this place where they, were, they, they weren't encouraging people to go to college because you're not going to need a college education because you're going to get zapped out of here any second now. Like, any second, you are going to be gone. So it was actually the people who went to college were kind of like the, l- the less faith-filled people. <laughs> but they definitely weren't thinking, better put some money in a, a bank account for grandkids for college. Like, they definitely weren't thinking that. They weren't thinking that they needed to think that long. And it kind of, like, bled over, even into my generation. Jesse McDermott, he was my best friend growing up. But it was like, you know, he'd, he'd call me, and it's like, hey, you want to come hang out? Uh, come hang out and come spend the night this weekend? It's like, well, I don't know, Jesse. Like, who knows where the world is going to be? It's four days away. You know what I mean? Like, for all we know, the Antichrist could rise to power and the rapture. So like, let's just play it by ear. It's like, you definitely didn't think you need a calendar. You know what I mean? Like, there was no sense of that. If I'm being honest, when I was young, this is just interesting feedback. When I thought of... Um, Christ's return, I was utterly terrified. My excitement level was at exactly zero and my terror level was one, Like I, I remember, I remember thinking like going to bed and trying to think about if there were sins in my life and thoughts that I had had that were going to cause me to like not get caught up in the rapture. Like there, was, there was actual thoughts that I had. And so it was like, there was no, there was no sense of anticipation. It was just terror. But we had this sense of like, any second now, things are going uh, to change. And let me say this. I I said this last week. I do believe, I certainly believe that Christ is coming again. 100%. Apostles creed, Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. 100%. That has started to mean a little bit, uh, like, it started to be a little bit different in how I understand and how I process uh, some of that stuff. But I certainly do believe that that is going to happen. I just, I just stopped believing that it's likely going to happen by this Saturday. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I just feel like, and I, I'm definitely at a place where I'm not wanting to order my life around this idea of, like, me getting out of here any day now, so I don't got to worry about it. Like I think that's a, a broken way of seeing the world and a way of getting out of your responsibility to care for the city uh, that you're in. But it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense that when the world gets really crazy and the world starts spinning out of control, that what you want the message to be is this. I'll fly away. Like, I'm, I'm just glad that I get to be out of here. Like, it makes perfect, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and it's totally, it's good to have that hope. It's good to have what we call, like, the blessed hope. That would be what Paul would call it in Titus. The blessed hope where you feel like, I'm gonna be reunited with my loved ones and I'm gonna see Christ face to face. That's all super cool. But I'm just gonna ask you the question, like, what if Christ or God would come to you and his message would be this? Hey, look, you're gonna be here for a while, So why don't you have some kids? Why don't you have some grandkids? And I think when people start feeling really frustrated and scared about the way the world's going, you know what they end up doing? They end up thinking back to the good old days. Um, Another message for another time, but I don't really believe in the good old days because I think what was good days for some people weren't exactly good for others. (laughs) Maybe the good old days to you were just good for you but they weren't so good for somebody else. Whenever anyone wants to talk about the good old days, I want to ask them, what decade in particular are you talking about? Um, Because there's bound to be like some Jim Crow laws in there that weren't so great for other people. You know what I mean? Like segregation, separate bathrooms. Was that like, was that when we were really killing it? Um, So I don't really believe in the good old days that much, but whether or not you believe in the good old days or not, I think we could all probably agree on this. Like there's no going back. We're not still going back. Like the church is not going back. America is not going back. Like, any, anything that's like, America needs to, ba- like, it's not back. Like, it's going forward. Like, that's just the way the world works. Society is not going back. Culture is not going back. The only thing that you have and the only thing that you have to be, re- be responsible for is just the world that you've been given. And, and the city, love it or hate it, the city that you have right here right now. And, and, and what are you going to do with it? But so long as your idea is this place is horrible and I'm just really glad to be done with this place, you take yourself out of your God-given responsibility to care for the city. Look, He tells you exactly what we're supposed to do in verse 27. This is advice to the Israelites in exile. It's also advice for you, I believe, in 2017. And God would say this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear like, especially if the prayer is, God, get us out of this hellhole!" hole. Like no, nobody wants to hear, yeah, Take care of the hellhole. Like, that's, that's what God resp- response would be. It's like, this place is terrible. Can't wait to leave. And God says, take care of the place. Because in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What a horrible, what a horrible thing to hear, especially if you're these people. But here's their mistake. Are you ready? They were preoccupied with their own salvation. And I hope to God you can hear yourself in that. So preoccupied with yourself that you don't have any time to care for a city. Like, it's like God. I don't know if you understand. I'm not well. Like I'm, I'm not okay. You want me to care for their welfare. I'm not well. You want me to pray. You want me to pray for them. How about somebody pray for me? You know what I mean. Like you want me. You want me to, to feed them. How about somebody feeds me? You want me to go and hear their fears and their worries. Who's going to hear my fears and my uh, worries? But but apparently that's. That's the promise, did you pick up on that? That's the promise, that seek the welfare of the city for in its welfare, you find your welfare. And I just think that at some point, like, we just need to be done with the idea of trying to analyze and trying to figure out where things went wrong and what things happened and how did the, you know, election and all of these different things, like, look, at some point, I just think exile is, exile? (laughs) And and you you just find yourself where you are. And at a certain point, like looking back in the past and trying to analyze, like, when did the church change? Under what administration did this? That's only going to get you so far. And at some point, you're just going to have to say, like, that doesn't make any difference. The question is this, where are we right now? And God, what would you have us do with the situation that we find ourselves in um, today? But again, so long as people are thinking like, I'll fly away. And I know that's kind of like targeted taking cheap shots at like evangelicals in the 80s. Listen, young people do it too. However you distract yourself from the very real issues of what's happening in your city and how you can add concrete solutions to that, it's just you being an escapist. For a lot of people, it's like fighting battles at, at, at the level where it doesn't make any difference. You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like people, people would want to fight battles online as an alternative to fighting real battles in the real world because it's easy. It's easy to fight, fight by typing. And I type. I type for a, a living. <laughs> like I'm typing all the time. But, but I, like I, I, want, I want, I'm a preacher. I want that to be enough. I want it to be enough to where I'll just, I can just hop on stage and I can just say true things and like, be like, thank God that's over like I, I want I want a Christianity where I can just tell you that you need to feed the poor and then I can go home <laughs> and be done with it like that's that's what I want and and so I want I, like it's so easy to just pull away um, your Christian faith and your Christian ideals from like what you actually do in your actual life with your actual free time and so so if if our message listen is this like I'm just going to fly away. I'm just out of here. I'm not going to worry about all of the things. I'm not going to try to actually fix things with my actual hands. If your message is I'll fly away, look, I've got I've got a I've got a brand new daughter, and this is her this is her first year. <laughs> like maybe this is your fiftieth or your thirtieth or your twenty fifth or your seventieth. Like this is this is year one for for Miss Grace, and so so I need you here. You know what I mean? Like like we need you. We need each other to like figure out all of this crazy crap, you know what I mean? Like there's 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 enough wildness in the world to overwhelm us all. But but we have the opportunity, we have the choice if we would take it to actually choose to do something about it. To how do we do it? How do we do it? Do we is it by is it by, you know, posting snarky comments? No, seeking the welfare of the city that you have been placed seeking the welfare of the city in which you have been placed for in its welfare you will find your welfare, and I think there 's this really interesting tension that we see in this scripture because the Israelites are without a doubt in captivity because of their own stupidity. Now, this is a fact they 're in captivity because they 're idiotic they 're sinful they 're disobedient, and so they find themselves it 's not this god specific plan here it's because they disobeyed God that they find themselves here. But then, but then God would come through the prophet Jeremiah and he would say this, like, seek the welfare of the city in which I have sent you. That's a really interesting, like, how did you send me? See, see that interesting tension? And so maybe that's true for your, your life. It's like, so maybe you did end up making a couple wrong turns along the way. You know what I mean? Like, maybe you find yourself living in a world that you don't you didn't, you didn't imagine, you know what I mean? Like maybe, maybe something weird happened with a marriage. Maybe you think you married the wrong person. Um, maybe, maybe you had this great job and you ended up like messing it up and now you find yourself here. You had this ambition and you never, you never, you never moved in it and so now you just find yourself at this place and you, just, and you just feel like, clearly this isn't where I'm supposed to be. But what if God is saying that like for better or for worse, that's where you are, <laughs> Like you right now, your life, where you're living right now, I have sent you there. I can't tell you how many times that for me personally, like I have, I have looked back at my own life and found myself in an uncomfortable place and thinking, well, clearly like God's hand is not on this because this feels really uncomfortable. But, but what if despite the discomfort that God would be coming and he would say this, this is where I have sent you. So seek the welfare of uh, this city. And I I just want to encourage you, like, I keep saying the phrase, "'Seek the welfare of the city in which I have sent you.'" Um, Listen to how local that is. It's so easy to make everything in the Bible a metaphor, like I'm the king of this. But it's easy to make, like, Babylon is a metaphor. Egypt is a metaphor. Exile is a metaphor all super true, but also in this particular text, if you do that too much here, you're going to miss this really real application, which is this. He's talking about an actual city, like your actual town. So for you, like if you live in Albuquerque, I think most of you do, like seek the welfare of Albuquerque for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And I I just think we can, we as Christians, uh, especially we dorky theologian types, we can really spend a lot of time um, arguing and trying to find out and wrestling with ultimately junk that doesn't make any difference. You know what I mean? Like, like we can argue about uh, all sorts of different theology and like where's Israel gonna rise up? And like, you know, what do we think? Like I can, I can kill myself on the book of Revelation. I can spend decades trying to like wiggle my way through that unbelievably tough book, right? I can do that. But ultimately I do realize that that can ultimately serve as a gigantic distraction. Like if I'm, like if I'm locking myself up with the book of Revelation and neglecting my neighbor, like I'm literally doing it wrong in every way imaginable. Like it's just, it's just another way for me to escape the very real responsibility that I have from the person that's living like two doors down from me. Do you even know that guy? Do you you even know the people in your own neighborhood? Do you even know the people in your own community? This is a a concept that is new for me when it comes to church, but I'm starting to embrace the idea that churches are supposed to reach the people that actually live around the church. (laughs) That might seem so obvious to you. That's new for me, that I feel like this church, there's neighborhoods here, and I think we're supposed to be doing something with them. Like, I think we're supposed to be reaching out to the towns that God has placed us in. Like, I think that's a literal idea, but just so, long as we, just so long as we distract ourselves with all sorts of ideas that don't ultimately amount to you taking care of the people that are in your life, you're just distracting yourself. Are you ready? Are you, can, you, can you see this coming? Politics. Like, my God. I can't tell you, like, how many hundreds of hours the average Christian spends armchair quarterbacking like the president of the United States of America. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Like what you think doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You might be saying like I can vote. Yeah, you vote, and then you get back to you get back to to work. You get back to what your job is, which is caring for your city. Like what you think at the end of the day like doesn't make all that much Difference. What matters is what you do. You know, like, you might read Donald Trump's tweets, but I guarantee you he doesn't read yours. So, like, why are you torturing yourself? Like, what, what are you hoping... You know what I mean? Like, how are you hoping you're going to solicit or elicit change outside of just caring for the neighborhood or the city that God has placed you? And of course, you know that quote um, by Mother Teresa, she says something to the effect of there are no great deeds. There are only small deeds performed in great love. So imagine imagine if Christian communities all around the world, instead of like worrying about blood moons and weird theologies and all this stuff that I spend so much time on, imagine if instead of doing all of that stuff, we all committed to like caring for our communities, caring for the people that God has put in our life. What do you think the fruit of that would be? Well, the world would change, right? The world would change for the better. And it, it would give Christianity a new hearing in the world, We've talked about this before in here, but but what people in the book of Acts, what what the apostles did with their lives opened up people to hear their message. But just so long as what we have is a message without deeds, then we become the salt that isn't salty. Then we become the people who like are just yelling, but there's nothing backing it up because there's no life. I guarantee you that if you find yourself caring for the people that God has put around you, when it comes time for you to say something to them about God, they're gonna listen. But just so long as you you evangelize, I'd say it like this, evangelism without relationship I think is maybe the old way. Like I just don't think that works anymore. (laughs) I think what you do is you lead with relationship. You lead with service. You lead with caring um, for other people. I have lost all sense of time. Um, uh, I just think everything changes when you start to consider yourself or think of yourself as somebody who is sent somewhere, like sent to a specific time, to a specific place. I keep talking about the city, but I think this applies wherever you're at, like your specific job, your specific community, your specific family, your specific marriage. My God, I just laugh because I think Christians, we can lose our minds over the sanctity of marriage, all the while like neglecting our own marriage. It's deeply ironic. Like the one marriage you actually have a little bit of control over is the exact one you don't spend any time worrying about. You know what I mean? Like seek the welfare of your city, (laughs) worry about your own marriage, worry about your own community. Because for, and when we care for the community, we find ourselves um, cared for. So it gets uh, funny really quick. Um, I don't know, I, I always show you quotes from Stanley Hauerwas. He's this theologian. He was recently named Time Magazine, uh, America's most, theologi- uh, most influential theologian. And um, he's this real salty character. I really like him because he's real snarky. He curses more than I'm comfortable with. And so I really like him. Uh, but I remember back in, back in like 2008, he, um, he was doing an interview at at a church that I really like and, and they were asking him kind of like about the political season and he has this riff about, um you know, like the kingdom of God, how it's never going to be ultimately completed by any kingdoms of the world or any governments of the world because the kingdom of God is always other. So they were kind of talking about that. And so he said something about something about who ends up in the White House for the election. It was like a big election year. And he said something that I was like, that is so stupid. He's so weird. Um, but he said, he said that basically they were, they have a minor league baseball team in their hometown where he lived. And they were getting ready to do a referendum on whether or not they were going to redo the uh, baseball stadium. And he said, I care much more about whether or not that referendum passes than who ends up in the Oval Office. And I was thinking like, (laughs) clearly you're not scared enough, man. Um, But I, 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 in introspection, I've started to see that there's a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit of wisdom there. I don't think he's saying it doesn't matter. But there's things that happen in your local community that have a much bigger impact on you and your loved ones than what's happening at the White House. And that's just true. Like, like your local politicians affect you more than your national politicians. That's just the truth. And, and what happens in your city so 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 how crazy that we would that we would spend all our time worrying and and exiting our mind to where we're always just worrying about these big issues all the while neglecting the very real reality of what God has called us to do um, here and now okay, so um the challenge is this don't don't get so caught up in the fog of all these big ideas and all these things that seem so urgent and so big and so scary that you lose the very real responsibility of what God would have you do today in your city. So we want to just spend a couple minutes, I blabbed way too long, but we just want to spend a couple minutes telling you one more time about what we have going this coming um, weekend. We have something that's going on in our city that this church is hosting. We think it's really important. We would love for you guys to be a part. So can you please cheer really loud uh, for Mrs. Jane Sugg. These are high. I know. You can push the thing.
1: We had real chairs in first and second service. That's
0: good. Okay, so Jane, we uh, we have known each other for a long time. Yeah, we both uh, we've done ministry together for forever, as long as we can remember. And so you do a lot of things, but one thing that you're doing is you're overseeing the A21 Walk for Freedom. Right. Uh, So just give us the super fast version of um, what that is and why we should care.
1: Okay. So um, a bunch of you guys have heard this a billion times, and some of you were even in the volunteer meeting that we had like three hours ago. Hey, guys, (laughs) we just saw you. Um, But I know that we have a nice turnover. Always come through Outlet to visit, so I I do want to share with you guys what the walk is. Uh, First and foremost, A21 stands for Abolish Slavery in the 21st Century. They are the leading anti-human trafficking campaign, and they are global. They have offices in Kiev, Russia, London, England, and Thailand, all over the world. And basically what they do is they use all of their funds and proceeds to educate the public about what to look for and how to be aware of human trafficking, most especially in London. If you guys are aware of what's going on with the Syrian refugee crisis and the Middle Eastern refugee crisis, all All of those refugees are coming over, not to America so much as to Europe because that's closer. And when they get there, they are lied to and told that there are jobs for them and money and a safe place to live. And what happens is the families are separated and then they are trafficked. They are forced to sell themselves for sex or for labor. And so um, they really raise awareness in all of these different cities. As well as that, they um, hire uh, prosecuting lawyers. Some of the best lawyers in the world work really hard for A21 to get to these trafficking rings, break the rings, and of course rehabilitate the women, the men, and the children. The rehabilitation works like this, depending on where we are and what country, there's jurisdiction. Some of these uh, teams for A21, they just yank these girls out of the brothels and they rescue them or they break down doors. Doesn't work that way in the United States. Jurisdiction doesn't work that way here. It's called kidnapping. So what we do instead is we go straight for the trafficking... um, the traffickers and the trafficking rings, and then, of course, once they are put away in prison or at least um, going through some court hearings, we can get those women into rehabilitation or the children or the men. So what does that have to do with you? A21 has recently... They have been doing the Walk for Freedom for the last four years now. Only in the last two years have they opened up the walk to everyone. That means that little old Albuquerque gets to participate. Years ago, it was just big, cool cities like L.A. and New York and... Cool we're having the walk here, but um, we in Albuquerque and here at BCA, we decided to host the walk. and so what we did was we interviewed. It was a very rigorous interview process, like video interviews and screening and filling stuff out, and this is our second year being a part. So um, the walk for us is essentially it's, I've told you guys this a hundred times, but if you're new here it's so important, you understand it's not a 5K run. you don't have to train for this. you can eat whatever you want all the way up to the day of the walk. Nobody's asking you to cover a long distance. Amen brother) I've been eating all kinds of stuff because it's stressful putting this together. However, once we all... once we all come together for the walk, uh, basically we walk very slowly. We walk in a single file line and we walk silently. And what that does is it demonstrates the voicelessness of the victims of human trafficking here in Albuquerque. And if you think that it's strange or what does that do, the, the people who participated last year, even David and I, we will tell you it's a very powerful experience. Most of the time when you see mobs or lines of people, you expect protests, you expect riot, you expect shouting. When we walk in in unison together I'm even getting chills just remembering what it did for the city last year the whole the whole neighborhood goes quiet we did it in Knob Hill people would drive by they'd slow down they'd roll down their windows they'd read our signs what happens and what you're doing according to scripture is you're shining a light on something that's very dark and extremely evil um, it's unfortunate but we really have to fight a lot of officials here in New Mexico because they don't believe trafficking is happening here and this walk really helps raise awareness and make people to kind of shake them awake. When you do that, um, last year, the walk happened all over the United States. Once the walk was done, a week later in Ohio and Oklahoma, two to three trafficking rings were broken a week after the walk. So we know that what happens is awareness is raised. You, maybe you're just walking, but but what we also have is a team of people who will not have their mouths covered. I'll get to that in a second. We'll all cover our mouths to represent the voices of, of um. Human, victims of human trafficking. But there are people who will post themselves during this walk to answer questions passers by have. These people have a special phone number that you can call if you see something sketchy, things to look for, it has statistics. When that awareness is raised, the city wakes up, the city sees things it doesn't like, sees things it doesn't like, and then of course we make a difference. So you might think, oh, I'm just walking, it's dumb, but it's the small things. And that's why David has so graciously plugged the event into this message. This is something he was passionate about, and then we thought, let's add the walk because this is the thing I can do. I'm not a policewoman. You're not all of you. You're not lawyers. These incredible world-renowned lawyers, right? So what can we do to fight human trafficking? We can walk. Um, The number one most trafficked person is a vulnerable person and that's not really anyone in here. Those are people who are desperate for jobs, money, help my family, please. you got a job for me. I'll go wherever you want me to go and that is considered a predator-prey situation. These traffickers prey on the vulnerable, and that makes me angry, and I hope it makes you angry. I want to speak for people who cannot speak for themselves, and when you walk, it's a beautiful demonstration of sticking up for those who can't defend themselves. So that's really what it's all about. That's
0: good. That's good. Just tell us real quick uh, two things. Number one, uh, what the the, um, Bandanas. bandanas mean on the mouth, and also if people... Um, I'm sure a lot of people have already signed up, but if they haven't signed up, what would you Yeah, what would you have us do?
1: Awesome. So the walk is next week. It's next Saturday. Um, we've come up against a few little hurdles, like how is the balloon fiesta? Um, it's also fall break for a lot of schools, so they'll be out of town and stuff like that. If you can make it, awesome. If you can't, but you want to help, tell your friends. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends all about it. Saturday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. This year, because a lot of people hear human trafficking and they think sex slavery, A21 has really pushed back on that. Human trafficking is a lot more than just sex slavery. Men are trafficked all the time, especially in New Mexico, because we're right on the border with Mexico. So migrant workers come over and they're looking for jobs, and instead they're trafficked, and they're kidnapped, and they're forced to do labor for no pay. Um, So what we want to do this year is raise awareness so that people understand it's more than just sex trafficking. If you register, you'll get a free bandana. Everybody gets one, the first 500 people to register, and I think we're over 400 now. So hurry if you haven't registered yet. Um, Once you get your bandana, you will represent one of three people and these people represent the three most common types of human trafficking. You could get a bandana that says Eve. Eve represents the child prostitute who is kidnapped and sold into slavery, sometimes by her own family overseas. Amy represents what we see here a lot of times in the United States, the western woman who is forced into prostitution by drug coercion. You see that all the time in New Mexico. And then um, Ivan represents the man who is forced into labor trafficking. So when you wear those bandanas, it's awesome because you might not be able to tell people why you're wearing it, but we have a team who will tell people why you're wearing it and they'll think, oh, I thought human trafficking was just like child mm-hmm. prostitution. No way. You can look for something sketchy that's happening to this grown man who hasn't seen right. his family for 10 years who's been trafficked. And so um, that's that's the whole bandana thing. Okay. If you want to register, I'm so happy to be talking um, to you guys because I think you're all pretty computer friendly. Um, a lot of times when we have... Um, others who don't like to get online, um, we have these um, registration cards. And so, or if you're forgetful, you can fill out a registration card tonight, get it to me, and we'll input your information online. But if you're like, no way, I don't mind registering myself and all my friends, you go online and I can give you that, all that online information. After service tonight, I'll be in the back. Um, but here's the thing, online registration closes this Friday. So it doesn't mean you can't go to the walk. It just means you have to register on the day of at the event. Uh, we'll be on Louisiana Boulevard this year walking by Uptown in the Mall. And when you get there, there just might be a really long line for you to register. And this is my home group. These are my people. I don't want you guys to wait in line. I want you guys to be able to come, check in, and do your thing. Finally, you can buy a shirt. Remember, bandanas are free. You can buy a shirt. All the proceeds go back into Albuquerque Fundraising for A21. We have a million different sizes for sale here. Sizes abound if you're interested. A lot of people are going to be out of town for the walk, and they've been really gracious, and they just bought shirts because they just wanted to help. And I thought that was really special. If you join the walk, please wear all black. Uh, That way we can all be unified together. And of course, I can explain everything else in detail, but I think that's pretty much it.
0: That's so good. Awesome. Can you uh, clap for Jane one time? Love you. Okay. Okay. So we're just going to close and um, receive communion as we always do. So you guys can go ahead and get ready for that. Um, I just want to encourage you, communion is something that From really early on in Outlet, we knew that we wanted to do this every week, and we we really think it's a beautiful way to kind of end a service, um, because we think it's just so, it's a beautiful picture of what the Christian faith is, Uh, and the Christian faith is this just our response to what Christ has done for us. And so communion is this beautiful act that represents us coming to the table of Jesus. Um, None of us deserve it but we all are equally invited. And so there's two pieces to communion. One is a personal piece. One would be just you coming to Jesus and receiving his forgiveness and his grace and his peace and his love and remembering what he did for you. And the second piece is this real communal piece where it's us as a community coming to the table of the Lord. So I hope you can hold those kind of two things in tension when you receive communion is that you're doing it as an individual, but you're also doing it as a um, united community together. And so what I want to just encourage you in tonight as we receive communion would just be to to think through and maybe ask yourself this question, like, what, what is it that God has called me to do? And I think I want you to answer that in two different ways. One would be, what has he called me to do as an individual? And two is this, what what do we feel, we collectively feel that God has called us to do as a community? Because we know that what he wants us to do is to care for our city. And we know what he wants you to do individually is to care for the city. So what does that look like? So just spend a moment, if you would, just hold on to the elements, and then we will receive communion together. But just spend a minute asking yourself that question. What has God called me to do? This guy's can go ahead and pass. prayer of St. Francis, this is uh, uh, the original friar, 13th century, uh, beautiful prayer that's meant a lot to me over the years, and he would say this, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace, where there is hatred, let me sow love, where there is injury, pardon, where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Let me pray for you. Father, I come come before you on behalf of my friends tonight, so many people with so many different uh, ways of processing the world. A lot of us would might maybe just don't think about it. Some of us probably think about it too much. Some of us filled with faith. Some of us filled with fear. And I pray that, that you would just protect our hearts from becoming so jaded and so weary uh, that we would remove ourselves from the responsibility that we have just to care for our city and to care for the people that we drive by, that we walk by, that we pass by, that we work with, uh, that we share a home with. Father, fill our hearts with compassion and fill our hearts with your motivation to be a light to the world. May we never be people who are so caught up in the fog and distractions of of a wild and crazy and fast-paced life that we miss small opportunities to do beautiful things in real people's lives and so we come to your table tonight and we just say that we're so grateful to be here not a single one of us deserving but all of us uniquely uh, invited just the same and so we say thank you and we come to you with gratitude and with trust and we say thank you And so, Jesus, tonight we remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return.